0: Hello, friends, Big East basketball fans. Welcome back. This is the Power Six Big East podcast. Be frank here, along with Sam, back again. um, It has been trying times, I would say, for for our two programs. We'll, We'll get to that shortly. Opening the show, I want to quickly run through the Big East standings to this point. All but DePaul and Villanova have played two games so far. Those two teams have each played one. We'll get to DePaul in a little bit. Villanova, obviously, will be mentioned as well. Three teams tied at the top for first place, UConn, Providence, and Xavier, all 2-0, winning a couple big games, each of them. Uh, Villanova sits just below them at 1-0. and We've got three teams at 1-1 and with Marquette, St. John's, and Creighton. DePaul just below them at 0-1, and then the three teams bringing up the rear at 9-10-11 or tied for last, whichever you prefer. Butler, Seton Hall, and Georgetown. So let's dive into our thoughts on our teams individually here. Um, I will cede the floor to you. Creighton has gone through it a little bit. The illness to Ryan Kalkbrenner has really affected this team overall. If we look back since we, we last spoke on these airwaves, Creighton lost to BYU. They lost to a, what we now know as a solid Arizona State team. Uh, they lost at Marquette, another team that's back in the top to, – or in the top 25, I should say. And then they finally got back on track when Colt Brenner returned, beating Hitler. Um, we, we talked about some of the fears that Creighton fans might have or the worries and concerns that they might have. Has, has that really manifested over these last four or five games, or have you seen a completely different issue? Because I, I have my thoughts. I want to hear uh, from your inside perspective. Well,
1: kind of. First off, um, obviously the the BYU and the Arizona State games uh, were really tough. Uh, Creighton now has, after losing six straight, has uh, got off the schneid last night um, as we're recording against Butler, which is huge, which makes me a lot more chipper than I would have been otherwise, even if it was like a single digit yep. win. Um, but uh, the 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 big thing is that Baylor Shireman, when he transferred to Creighton over the summer. He's talking final four national championship last night. Um, he really played like it. Uh, he had 14 points, eight rebounds, three steals and three blocks. So when he plays like that and when the Jays shoot 50% from the three point line, which they also did last night, um, a lot of those worries that we've discussed, um, uh, aren't as, uh, pressing. And when Trey Alexander, who's, who's really struggled, um, really since mm-hmm. Maui, um, still isn't shooting all that great, but he, he saw a few, uh, he, he saw a couple three pointers fall last night. I'm um, struggled a bit at the free throw line, but, um, his, the last season and early this season, we can pretty much count on a mid range jumper from him to get things going. While that hasn't been the case, uh, this losing streak and even into last night, um, We've gotten some phenomenal production from the five-man, whether that's Frederick King, who we'll talk a little bit bit about later, or Ryan Klockbrenner, who returned last night to shoot eight of nine and really didn't even look like himself, but a 65%, 75% Ryan Kalkbrenner is still one of the more formidable big men in the conference. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, last night, what, 18-point win, still committed 15 turnovers. Uh, we'd seen fewer turnovers at the beginning of the season, and obviously um, not so great uh, at Marquette and even last night. Um, but when the Jays shoot 56% from four like they did last night and 50% from three, um, they can turn the ball over um, at a slightly concerning rate and still obviously put teams away uh, pretty fairly. So um, a lot rosier uh, after last night than um, as I said, if, if, if it had only been a single-digit win. But uh, we're not out of the woods just yet.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a couple really important points. Um, Baylor Shireman is certainly like an X-factor guy. Frederick King is young. He's learning. He's, he's doing what he can in the role. Uh, it's impossible to fill the shoes of Ryan and We're talking about the reigning Big East Defensive Player of the Year, a guy that is in the conversation for one of the best big men, not only in the Big East, but the entire country. Uh, and this is as as people have dubbed it the year of the big man this season and as we can see that at Purdue with Zach Edey just running away with the national player of the year award right now my my thing about Shireman is is twofold he seems to be forcing it offensively the turnover numbers show that especially last night but that's kind of what he does he he needs to be a do-it-all guy he's really good with the ball in his hands He's averaging almost 10 rebounds a game, which is outstanding for a 6'7 forward. Um, Guard guard forward, whichever you want to call him at this point. The offense, I think, will come. But with Creighton as a whole, when they have that inside threat, they're just so much more effective offensively. They need it so badly. They need someone on the interior that can just do something to open up shooting lanes. Uh, Last night, I think, was more of how we expect to see this team play only 16 three-point attempts which is really good in that regard I think they got too reliant on the three for quite a while Um, if Shireman can continue to step up and improve it is a big step up in competition but I think you're going to see this Creighton team flourish or he's going to flourish as they or they'll flourish as he continues to improve third time's the charm there Frederick King getting big minutes is is huge. He's going to develop. He's going to become a guy that is reliable. I don't think Creighton is a good team without Ryan Coltbrenner. It may be harsh, but I just I haven't seen from them defensively. They are shambles. They are absolute mess on the defensive end. And I saw this personally with Seton Hall. We we went from seven foot two Rogill, who was a shot blocking fiend, to seven two Iko Biagu, who also blocked a ton of shots over the last, I don't know, four or five years. This season, height is a huge, huge issue. And you can tell when those guys are out of the lineup that defense is different because more often than not, you're not trying to beat your man to the spot. You're trying to force him into the lane so that you can alter a shot. Whereas without your big man, and this feels similar for Creighton, without the big man, it's very difficult because you don't have another shot blocker on the roster at this point, Kaluma kind of can do it. He He's just a versatile freak athlete. Like I love that guy. I think he is by and far the best player on this team. Um, but without Call Brenner, like the defense just, it, they need to get more in sync, I think. And, and, and they're just missing out on that presence interior, uh, presence on the interior. But if they, maybe are a little more aggressive defensively, put a little more pressure on the ball that might help them out.
1: Yeah. And last night was one of the more impressive defensive efforts. The team blocked eight shots. Um, Shireman had three, Frederick King had two, and Kalkbrenner had two, and they all seem to be at pretty large moments. But it's not just, as you said, we can't really rely on block shots outside of Kalkbrenner and then maybe King, and then, as you said, Kaluma when he makes an athletic play, chasing the guy down. Um, But it's the shot-altering. Last year, when Creighton was maybe re-averaging Closer to seventy points a game, their defense was as stout as it's been in the Greg McDermott era because they could funnel everything to Clark Brenner. And even before he was out, I think he, but before he came back, he was averaging like one point eight blocks a game. When last year he was averaging like two point six, and even that, and he he likely had the illness, the non COVID illness, um, while he was still playing a few times, and he he was just getting beat time and time again against Nebraska, especially. Um, but keeping him healthy, I, he is their defensive identity. Um Yeah, Trey Alexander's athletic out on the, out on the perimeter, as is uh, Arthur Kaluma. Um, but something that Ryan Clark Brenner does so well is play defense without fouling, mm-hmm. which you cannot put a huge enough value on, especially as a big man. So, yeah, the um, – the, the, the and and this was out with last night was without Sharif Mitchell, who's the blue Jay's arguably best on ball defender. Um, now he he shouldn't be taking probably two of the biggest shots uh in in, in Vegas in the in those two games right uh, one a buzzer beater and then another one in the corner with a minute and a half um, against uh, Arizona State, but um ha- having guys that can hound the ball, um, and not relying on funneling everything into a big man that maybe probably still isn't, isn't at full health um, mm-hmm. will be vitally important. So, yeah, protect Ryan Clark, Brenner at all, at, at all costs. And, um, yeah, ho- hopefully the Jays can kind of figure it out defensively because they uh, were really struggling otherwise. And Arizona State, yeah, they, they I think that was their ninth consecutive win when they beat Creighton. But then they also just got – absolutely taken behind the woodshed by University of San Francisco um, a couple of nights ago. So they may not be as good. um, uh, But, but everybody has stinkers obviously and Creighton's been one of them, but uh, yeah, the, 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 the defense, the, as you said, the offense will come it's how effectively Creighton can not only block, but impact shots uh, on the interior that will determine how far this team goes.
0: Yeah, and you you bring up a very important point about Creighton. Last year, the Jays ranked 19th in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency. That's where they that's where they won games last season. Was on the defensive end. Very young team, very inexperienced. Offense was give or take, whenever you could get it. They they ranked 112. This year, we obviously are seeing something different with the offense ranked 36th. you know, you expect that improvement. You expect that jump that efficiency defense is down to 28 again not a bad number but we are seeing the Kalkbrenner absence affect that number um and like you said he's not in game shape right now so it's hard to expect anything too crazy out of him it's also once your name is out there as a shot blocker teams are going to avoid you as much as they can you you are something they game plan against so I don't really expect him to get back to that two and a half blocks a game number, but he hovers around two. I mean, that's incredibly effective. And that's not even talking about the shots that he alters uh, to begin with when anyone gets close to the rim. So Colt really is the key to the season, in my opinion. Like if he stays healthy and if he, you brought up another good point about how he doesn't foul. Like one of the big downs downfalls of Iko Biagu, besides the fact that he couldn't really catch the ball was that he fouled a lot. He, he, I mean, he's an enormous man. I've seen him in person. It, it, he's a gargantuan human. Um, he just couldn't move very well. And so if you get past him, he's going to try and catch up, and all you have to do is stop, and you'll get hit and fall over, and that's a foul. So Kalkbrenner is definitely better with his feet. He's got great footwork. Um, he can move pretty quickly for a big man of his size. He just needs to get back in game shape, and once he does – Um, I think we'll see the defensive intensity and defensive efficiency pick up again.
1: Oh, absolutely. And a big thing for the Jays is uh, the opposing team's mid-range jump shots. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, Trey Alexander is great at those four. Creighton, um, not the most efficient shots uh, in in the age of analytics. But uh, because Creighton doesn't want Caulk, strain too far away from the basket um in the first half butler was hitting a lot of those last night um in the second half they just flat out were not so but again that's that's affecting shots if he if he can at least get a hand up even with i think seamus Lukosius ended up being three of ten um mm-hmm. he, he struggled a bit chuck harris was uh six to twelve but couldn't really ever get going um which was big, but yeah, the, 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 the criminal score, it's just how committed they can be on the defensive end and getting stops. When you need to get stops.
0: uh Yeah.
1: will be huge for this team going forward.
0: 100%. Um, any final thoughts on the Jays there or should I shift to uh, a less bright topic in the Seton Hall Pirates? we, we, we could maybe hit hit
1: on the Jays a little more if I missed anything in my notes um during the power rankings but uh let's talk about
0: yeah it was uh they they played decent basketball I'm gonna say that much they played decent basketball they played well enough to win since since we last spoke they won in an absolute rock fight against Rutger 45 43 that was fun as hell I love that game um just so ridiculous this is our worst team in probably a decade and we still win at, air quote, the toughest place to play in college basketball. My ass. Uh, 66-49 win over Drexel. Big East play starts with a home loss, 71-67 against Providence, and then a road loss at Xavier for the first time in four years. Those four previous meetings were double-digit wins for Seton Hall. They lose this one 73-70. Those are the two games I want to focus on. The guard play is terrible. The guard play is just so bad right now. Uh, this team fouls a ton, 22 fouls against Providence, 23 against Xavier. Um, I don't know. Uh, Tyree Samuel keeps getting in foul trouble and that kills us on the interior because we have, we have no height. The does so much defensively. He just needs to try and do a little less on the offensive end. Kadari Richmond might be back. He might be the best player. He might be the best guard in the big East. I'm going to, I'm going to make a huge, bold statement when he's on. He's six foot six. He's got the longest arms I've ever seen. He plays great defense. Gets in passing lanes. He has court vision that is NBA level, if not all star NBA level. He he can find his teammates in the tightest windows. When he adds the scoring to it, he is damn near impossible to stop. That said, he doesn't always do that. He's not the most consistent offensive player. Um, but we saw twenty eight points, nine rebounds five assists, two steals against Providence, and then he followed that up with 17 points, five rebounds, or excuse me, four rebounds, five assists, and two steals against Xavier. Al Dawes and Jameer Harris are killing this team, each of them individually. Jameer Harris is an energy guy. I love his his just attitude is great, but if he's not hitting shots, which he has not at all this season, he's, he's a negative. He tries hard on defense, which is great, but he gets blown by too often. And, and if he can't be a spot-up shooter, he really isn't doing anything for you. He was 2 of 9 and 1 of 8. 2 of 9 from the field, 1 of 8 from 3 against Providence, and he started that game. And then off the bench against Xavier, he was 0 of 2. He took two shots in 21 minutes. I mean, that talk about being a negative. Alamir Dawes is the biggest – he kills momentum more than any player I've ever seen wear a Seaton Hall jersey. He struggles so hard shooting the ball this year. Three of 11 from the field, two of eight from three against Providence. So many of those are pull-up jumpers in situations where we've got an odd man rush or whatever. And then starting against Xavier, three of 13, three of eight from three. Just, just a killer. Every single time down the floor. And it hurts. It really hurts. Trey Jackson's another guy. I'm not going to talk about him too much. When he's on, he's great. His attitude's been terrible lately. He needs to figure something out there. But I tweeted this out. These are some great numbers about Seton Hall basketball. I know you saw this. Uh, 15 and a half turnovers a game is good for 27th worst in America. 25.9 free throw attempts per game is the 13th best in the country. They get to the line a ton. They may even be in the top five for free throw attempts at this rate. They are shooting 67.6% from the line, 273rd in the country. They're shooting 29.8% from three. That's 323rd in the country. That's bad. The 35.8% of their shot attempts are from three. If you can't make them, why are you shooting them? Get in the lane, do that. They're shooting 50.7% on two point field goals. Again, If you can make those, take them. 109 missed free throws through 13 games. Uh, I did the math, and that's like eight and a half missed free throws a game. That costs you. You lose by four to Providence. You lose by three to Xavier. Make half of those, and you win and go to overtime. Now to Dawes and Jameer Harris. First off, Dawes leads the team in minutes at 376, which blows my mind because he should never get that many minutes at all. Nadefo is second, 58 minutes behind him. First, Power 6 opponents, Alamir Dawes is shooting 14 of 41 from three, good enough for 34%. Against non-Power 6 opponents, he's shooting 15 of 29 for 51.7%. Not only is he taking better shots against bad teams, but he's making better shots against bad teams. Stop shooting threes. Jameer Harris, he's just had a really rough year all over. First power 16s, he's 7 of 27 for 26% from three. First now in power 16s, he's 5 of 26 for 19%. He is just all around struggling, needs to figure out a way to improve. Top, and this is the last bit. Free throw attempt leaders. So these are the top five guys in terms of free throw attempts. Nadefo has taken the most at 53 per, or fifty-three. Free throws, he's made 32, that's 60.4%. Kadari Richmond's taken 50, he's made 33, 66%. Femi Odakale, who does not have an offensive bone in his body at this point, is 24 of 44 for 54.5%. Tyree Samuels, 30 of 43 at almost 70%. And Tay Davis is 27 of 41 for 65.9%. That's a freshman. He's going to learn, he's going to get better those five combined have missed 85 of the 109 missed free throws this season for Seton Hall. They're shooting 63.2%. Dre Davis is the bright spot. He's 30 of 36 at 83.3%. All that is to say, you are making the game harder on yourself. We turn it over a ton. Like the, These are all fixable problems. I think the two things they need to focus on, three things. Getting into the lane, taking better shots. We're, we dominate teams in the paint more often than not, even without the height advantage. Make your free throws and minutes. The minute distribution has been horrible. Kadari Richmond needs to be playing more. Tyree Samuel, even in foul trouble, needs to be playing more. Trey Jackson needs to get more minutes outside of the five. Like You need to figure out ways to get these guys going. There are a few guys that can be interchangeable and play whenever, like a Nadefo or the Davis brothers, but you need like Sean needs to figure this out because at this point, the season is quickly running away and it doesn't get any easier from here. They've got a road trip to Marquette just after Christmas. So end rant. That's, that's what I have to say about Seton Hall. Well, and I, I I guess I, quickly ask you, I, I've got a,
1: just a couple notes here on on the Pirates but um uh, uh who do you most trust to make a jumper when you need it to, when you need to because Kadari Richmond can obviously you got a lot of guys that can get downhill mm-hmm. and get to the free- throw line but I, I, as you said in close games when you're missing eight and a half free throws a game that's the difference in your first two conference games um and when you're it, it, they're obviously down versus Providence and Xavier but when you're yeah. up If teams know that only one guy on your team shoots over 80% from free throw, they can just hack anybody they want to. So Mm -hmm. um, kind of going back to my question, who do you trust to make a jump shot in a big moment?
0: A jump shot? Well, if late game, I want the ball in Kadari Richmond's hands. It happened against Xavier, and he stumbled and fell out of bounds, basically. Unfortunate happening, but he's the guy I want to have the ball in their hands. If I have to pick one guy on the roster to make a shot, maybe Dre Davis. Like, he has a mid-range game. I think he's the one. But we've already seen that Shaw is going go to go. He went to Jameer Harris down the stretch. Or he went to Jameer Harris on the, the game-tying attempt. Uh, he went to Alamir Dawes. Uh, he says that, well, the play wasn't for him against Providence. But it clearly was a driving dish. Trey Jackson plays with a better attitude, I would give him the ball, though, because he can score from all three areas. He's big enough to get his own shot off. Like Him or Dre Davis, I think. And I have no confidence in either guy.
1: Fair enough. And then uh, the second thing is, um, do you know how many times Seton Hall has scored 80 points this year and against who? Oh,
0: God. I would guess twice and once against, Monmouth and the other probably against Lincoln. So it's three. Okay. Um, St. Peter's, Wagner, and Lincoln. God. Three of the- <laughs> impressive stuff. Okay. You know, just some high quality competition that we're playing well against. Yeah. And obviously
1: the Shaheen Holloway kind of bread and butter, especially last year at St. Peter, was kind of running the pace, um, making teams play kind of ugly and, mm-hmm. um, because of the talent disparity um, in their uh, NCAA tournament run, they had to play stifling defense and basically take good shots, which St. Peter's did a lot. And, and then having Doug Eddard and a few long-range threats helps out. But yeah. when you don't have three-point shooters, but you're shooting over 50% from two, there's still not much of, a re, not much of an excuse to not have put on put up 80 points versus a quality or a power six opponent.
0: Look, you're preaching, you're preaching to uh, the choir at this point, or I don't know. It's just frustrating to watch this team who has, who has talent. They can be good. And they're in all of these games. I mean, Kansas was a blowout, but outside of that, they've been in every single game. Like the Siena loss looks like a joke at this point. They could have beat Oklahoma, Iowa, they struggled with, but they, they've they been, around hanging tough with a lot of these teams, they gotta figure it out quick because it's Marquette St. John's and then at Creighton and we play horribly at Creighton as you're well aware. Yeah. Um so kind of go, going into uh
1: power rankings uh this week um or, or or this episode uh it's it's kind of been a little discombobulated having two separate rankings. Um we're kind of going back to uh, if you're a longtime follower of our follower of our uh big east coverage um mm-hmm. when we've blogged the power rankings uh the past few seasons we've just combined them um so uh we'll kind of start off um there obviously uh top top of the table right now is yukon they're still undefeated um 13 and 0 they hung 114 points on liu and then um turned it on against butler in the second half and route to a 22 point win um Adama just went off that game, had 27 points, got more or less every rebound that he wanted to. Um, and they might have looked past Georgetown a little bit, but they still won by 11. Um, uh, Joey Calcaterra was a huge spark in that game. Um, he yeah. scoring 14 points in just 17 minutes. Um, and um, at the beginning of the year, we thought it was uh, UConn, Creighton, and everybody else. Now it's really just UConn and everybody else chasing him.
0: Yeah, the middle of the Big East is going to be very tough. I think they're like Villanova fits in that group now, Creighton. I think they're they're more the upper of the middle tier, but you got to play and win the games at this point. Um so yeah, really every 2 through 9 I think is wide open. Like any team can finish in any of those spots. DePaul and Georgetown are clearly the bottom of the league though.
1: Absolutely. Well, and in, and in Georgetown—they're obviously zero two in conference play, but they've hung kind of like surprisingly tough um, uh, in, in those first conference games. And mm-hmm. only obviously, there's no moral victories for a team that's five and eight. But only losing to uh, to uh, UConn by eleven points is um, obviously not something yeah. you hang your hat
0: on. But um, they were I think is a thing to say they, a, they played a, well.
1: Exactly. There, there is a lot of teams that are going to lose to UConn and have lost to UConn by more than eleven to this mm-hmm. point already. Just ask Florida.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, second is a tie. We we have a tie here, folks. Uh, so you and I agreed at number one. We disagreed at number two. Uh, we ta- We agreed on number three, but tied for second is Xavier and Providence with eighteen points each. Uh, I had Xavier at two and Providence at three you had Xavier at 4 and Providence at 3 so a little a little intrigue here um, Xavier picked up a 20 point win over Southern they won by 13 at Georgetown dropping 100 point, 102 points excuse me and then they broke the four game losing streak at home to Seton Hall 73-70 game they probably shouldn't have won but they still did because they made plays at the end Fremantle was great against Seton Hall they they they've got multiple guys that can do it to you Sully Boom has been really good lately. Uh, Jerome Hunter plays a really nice role off the bench for them. Jack Nunji was a non-factor against Seton Hall. He had 18 and 12 against Georgetown. They're just, they they have a lot of weapons. They have a lot of different pieces that can beat you a lot of different ways. And that's why I think Xavier, Xavier can absolutely be the team to challenge UConn at the top of the league absolutely and and you ran through that without
1: even mentioning colby jones who yeah. is yeah. incredibly talented and but doesn't need to shoulder as much of the load this year and yeah, at, at four positions they can match up with virtually anybody um so i i had him a little little at a little lower just because of struggling with seton hall and mm-hmm. just to be totally transparent um obviously we're not going to pretend not to be biased but um yes. I I I hate Zach Fremantle and I'm not that big <laughs> a fan of Sean of Sean Miller so well they, they they probably deserve to be uh in second all by themselves that's why um but here they are tied for second anyway so they're the second team we're talking about
0: yes and then Providence is the other team they beat Albany by a lot 93-55 uh, then they beat Seton Hall on the road to open Biggie's East Place, seventy-one sixty-seven. Another game, they were down nine at the half, showed great resolve to come back, really controlled a lot of the second half. And then a double overtime thriller, overranked Marquette, 103-298. It's the Bryce Hopkins show. He was unbelievable in the second half against Seton Hall. He was absolute nails in the game against Marquette crazy thing to me is the free throw disparity in this game. 49 attempts for the Friars, 19 for the Golden Eagles. That is the difference in winning and losing a ball game. Uh, It's very tough to win when you're getting called fouls almost 2-1 to against, and and that's what Marquette found out. Your guy, Tyler Kolick, had a great game, 29 points. We'll get to Marquette in a bit, but Bryce Hopkins, 29 points, 23 rebounds, 8 on the offensive end, 8 of 14 from the field, 13 of 18 from the free throw line. He did a little bit of everything in this game to get the job done. Uh, Really just an impressive performance. And then Ed Croswell has been awesome the last couple games as well. 20 points against Marquette in 40 minutes, 21 points, nine rebounds, three blocks against Seton Hall in 31 minutes. He really is starting to round into form and be a formidable figure in the post for the Friars. Well, the, the the luckiest team in the land last year um yes. has
1: kind of picked picked that up right away um stop me if you heard this before but Providence is winning close games for one reason or another um uh as you said and I'd be interested to know nationally but Bryce Hopkins we have been talking for Weeks and mentioned him multiple times um mm-hmm. I, I i google had him listed as a guard um so i i think i mentioned that he was a guard in a previous episode but kind of like baylor shireman guard forward he much more yeah. of a forward um
0: you can play two through
1: four basically depending exactly. on what the lineup looks like yeah but he he is if if the if if the big east bias or, or the east coast bias were still alive at college basketball he'd be on some dark horse um Smith or Wooden watch lists, um, mm-hmm. which he's, he is not, but should play himself on to, should he keep playing like this? Um, he's just been absolutely phenomenal. And because he's not a center, there aren't a whole lot of players in the Big East that can match up physically with him. I'm really interested to see how he does against Arthur Kaluma. Um, but yeah. obviously to this point, there not a whole lot of people can guard him. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I thought Ndefo was going to cause him some problems. I thought Dre Davis could give him some issues when when we played, and that just was not the case. He he was able to get his own shot, create space. He does it really all over the floor. He had twenty four and ten against Seton Hall. Like he just he found ways to make shots. He hit a couple threes. He's not he's not the best three point shooter, but he can stroke it from deep. He's just a mid range back to the basket. Like. He can play at all three levels and he can score in a number of different ways, but he's really good slashing to the rim. He's really good cleaning up on the offensive glass. He's really good in ISO. He just does so much in so many different ways. Yeah. Well, and typically Ed Cooley teams aren't
1: putting up a hundred points in conference play. And so that, that that's what should worry opponents this year is that um, not only is it Hopkins, as you said, Ed Crosswell, Devon Carter added 30 points in the Marquette win. Yeah. Um, Jared Bynum at at 16. Um, Alan Breed is playing pretty darn well off the bench and has scored in double figures in a handful of games this year as well. Um, Providence is a force to be reckoned with, and um, obviously they're probably going to end up winning some uh, grinded out ugly games, but they can score with Marquette, um, and if you can score with Marquette, you can score with just about anybody.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what to feel about Providence yet. I think they got lucky to get out of Newark with a win they – Lucky, not in the sense of last year. I th- like. I, I think Seton Hall kind of threw that game away. Marquette, a lot of things happened. I would love to see that if they're, you know, if they're sitting in this spot come January twenty third, then I think credit where credits due is is the saying. But at this point, I'm a little hesitant to kind of crown Providence as a contender in the Big East just yet. Like, I, it's hard to say when they're the one of three two and O teams, but I I, I need to see a little more. Um, But, yeah, as we work our way down, now in fourth place, Villanova. This is a team we we varied on pretty drastically. You had the Wildcats at third – excuse me, I had them in fifth. They've got wins over uh, Boston College, 76. They beat St. Joe's by seven, and then they handled St. John's pretty well in a 15-point win there. What do you like about this Villanova team?
1: Cam Whitmore – returning they're five and0 since he's returned and he isn't scoring a whole heck of a mm-hmm. lot he's he's only got double figures in two games but just the way that the offense flows with him on the floor um it's a whole heck of a lot less stagnant getting the younger Archer diacono off the floor um uh is it, probably a good thing um for this Villanova yes. team um and with uh whitmore is a sturdy guy him uh eric dixon and then brandon slater are three solid options where you can iso them back down uh back down on the post and get baskets and his presence really has kind of taken them that yeah they have five losses on the year but um i'd be as you picked them pretty darn high up They're, they're still waiting on justin miller so once they get him back, whether that's even, I don't know, mid January at it, I'm not sure what the timeline on his Achilles is, but um, just because, kind of the, the, the Fortune 500 program, Fortune 500 company thing, um, you can more or less plug and play, even with Cal Neptune on the uh, sidelines now, obviously under j Wright for a handful of years, um, putting an NBA talent on uh, on a roster with such well coached players. Uh, has made a big enough difference, obviously, that they've won five straight. They're not blowing anybody out of the water, but good teams win close games and can pull away slightly at the end, and that's what Villanova's doing. So that's what I'm seeing out of them.
0: Yeah, I I think you bring up a great point. Whitmore is probably their most talented player. He's not the best player on the team, if that makes any sense, but he is the most important. He is kind of the glue that can keep this team together. He does a lot he does a little bit of everything but he does a lot when he's on the floor um the st john's game eight points ten boards three of those offensive rebounds he only shot three of nine from the field but when you pair him up with a guy like jordan longino with a caleb daniels with guys that can hit from outside eric dixon slater whoever it may be you get those second chance opportunities that's where villanova can absolutely kill you and that's what we've seen them do time and time again um he just shores up their their interior, makes sure they can kind of close out, rebound well. A thing that Villanova has really struggled with over the last couple of seasons, even with some some better big men, really it's just one or two guys that they have in there. But yeah, they you're right. They they have looked good since he's returned. They need to keep this going because they've got a lot of a lot of work to do and a lot of uh a big hole to dig out of I guess I should say and their net ranking is not great their resume is not great they they've got a lot to do here so as he continues uh to improve this team will get better and better they're not a team I want to face anytime soon actually probably sooner than later because they're going to be better later in the season but either way it's a it's a losing battle so i uh i had villanova a little bit lower but i can see why you you put them up there peaking or they're they're improving Pretty quickly with Cam Whitmore back in the lineup.
1: And this next week, we'll get into this later with games to watch, but this next week will go a long way in legitimizing mm-hmm. hey, do they deserve uh, to be fourth um, uh, in our power
0: rankings? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fifth is Marquette. This team we were pretty close on. You had them fifth, I had them fourth. Um, I put them up there because it's hard to win at Providence. Double overtime, all the things going against them. Two to one in fouls. You know, minus seemingly a hundred in free throw attempts. They're still in the game late, finding a way uh, to keep on. They beat Creighton by eleven. They beat Notre Dame by fifteen. I don't think Notre Dame is very good, but they they have a win on their resume. Um, this is just this is just a hard-nosed like talented Marquette team that has multiple guys that can beat you. Um, so I'm not looking forward to playing them. I can tell you that much. This is uh, this is a team that should give us some some big problems. And we've really struggled in Milwaukee lately. But yeah, I, I like what Marquette's doing. I think Shaka's got a team that's, that's well set to finish in the top half of the Big East. Um, and really, they will go as far... As their big men can take them, because when they're on, they're they're a hard team to beat because they've got the guard play. Mitchell, Jones, Kolick um, are all there, ready to roll. It's the forwards can prosper, continue to play well. Can Igoharo, uh be a good supplementary piece or complementary piece? Excuse me to him, and can they can they rebound well? Um, I think right now we've seen them play great together, and and I think if that continues, they're going to be a hard team to beat throughout the rest of the season.
1: And as you said, in the Providence game, um, it's no longer the Dunkin' Donuts Center, but yeah, it's a very, very tough place to play. Uh, Tyler Colett grew up uh, what within a half hour of that place and had the game of his life. If he doesn't foul out, we're maybe talking about a different result and uh, flipping where Marquette and Providence are uh, in our standings. As you mentioned, Oso Igadaro. Um, really coming into his own um, kind of could do whatever he wanted physically against Creighton and uh, shoots nearly 65% from the field. So as mm-hmm. you said, they're, I, I think that they're like 300th, uh, as far as like experience, they're a very young team, but kind of like Creighton was last year, um, a very young team. Uh, they, they seem to be ahead of schedule.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, they're, they're another team that, that will be very hard, uh, very hard out night in and night out. The, again, the inexperience could play a factor. I, I don't think it has yet. I will. They're top 20 in terms of offensive efficiency. So, like you said, they can score the ball and they can do it uh, pretty well. They they like to run tempo, but I think they can even play in the, the half court. Um, moving down, we are at what? Sixth now? St. John's. Coming in 11 and 2, 1 and 1 in the Big East. Uh, You had them in seventh. I had them sixth. They're actually tied with the Jays, who we flip flopped. I had them. I had Creighton seventh. You had Creighton sixth. Um, Both teams 1 and 1 in Big East play. St. John's 13 point win over New Hampshire, pretty unconvincing. Dominated a bad Florida State team by 14 and then lost by 15 at Villanova. The Johnnies are what they are. I think that's that's the way to put it. Like you you know, the guard play has to be on, and if they're not, it it's going to be a long day. Uh, Soriano's been a really bright spot for them. He's been solid, seventeen and thirteen against Villanova. Um, David Jones is what he was at DePaul. When he's on, he's great. They have too many of those guys though. Montez Mathis takes a lot of shots. He hasn't been hitting too many. Um, but it's it's Posh and Curbelo. like those two guys want the ball in their hands, they want to score, they want to take shots. Um, and really, I like if Montez Mathis can go back to being a defensive stopper and more of that spot up, timely shooter where he's got great percentages, but like the three big guys that they have that touch the ball the most, David Jones is shooting 40% from the field and 28% from three. Uh, Posh is shooting. 36% 36% from the field and 13 from three. We all knew he couldn't shoot, but apparently he doesn't know that. And then Curbelo shooting 47% from the field and 32 from three. He's slightly, I want to make sure this is right. I think he's slightly improved over the last year at Illinois. Um, in ter- He's greatly improved. Excuse me. He shots 18% from three last year at Illinois. He's shooting 32 now. He shot 32. He'll be shooting 47. When he gets in the lane, he can facilitate really well. The problem is, like we've said the entire time, they've got three ball-dominant guys that always need to have the rock in their hands, and when that doesn't happen, things get really stagnant fast. Yeah, and and
1: a word that to describe their offensive effort against Villanova is just disjointed. Mm -hmm. Um, No real rhythm. Um, I I think it's been a while. Curbella scored 14 against Florida State, but I I don't remember a game um, where both he and Posh Alexander scored in double figures. And I I just said that that's because of, there's so many ball dominant guys on the roster. Um, And they're also a team that I'm sure some St. John's fans may correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the Mike Anderson identity for a very long time is 40 minutes of hell. Now you have guys that he's having to convince to play defense um, obviously Pasha Alexander is very, uh, is a defensive stopper. Um, but guys, they're more bought in on the offensive end and not necessarily bought in for the team, but bought in for themselves. As you said with the ball dominance, um, that basically their entire, their entire line plays with, um, so they're, they're, they're an odd team. As you said, they are what they are. Um, it's, it's tough to, uh, kind of put a pin in them, um, and understand what you're going to get night out, night in and night out from them.
0: They love tempo. And like, I think I think that's the exciting part. If you're a player, the, the not exciting part is the fact that in order to play with tempo, you need to be pressing the entire game. And like, <clears throat> it does wear you out. That's for sure. And so I think some of this maybe comes down to that. They're sixth in tempo on Ken Palm. Offensive efficiency is in the 70s. They're top 50 defensively. But like, it doesn't match up to what we're seeing at this point. They've they've really played no one this season. The, the only games they have that are worth a damn, they uh, – I mean, Syracuse isn't good. They lost to Iowa State on the road by 11, and they beat a bad Florida State team, and then they lost by 15 to Villanova. So the, really the two real games they've played, they've lost by double digits. They they need to figure it out. They need to play well in Big East play because at this rate, I I don't see them making the tournament. I think they're going to be close to 500 in Big East play just because of the nature of their their style and how they play, they can catch anyone on any given night. But they could also lose to Georgetown. Like that's that's how they play.
1: Yeah, I, and with Georgetown's fairly competitive games against tough teams, yeah, the, it mm-hmm. would not shock me at all if a team like St. John's. Um, would drop or maybe even get swept by Georgetown.
0: Agreed. Creighton, have we more to say? Uh, I think this has been a nice – it was a nice bounce-back win against Butler. Butler is a team that I thought was going to be better than they have been so far. They are dealing with injuries, but still, a 22-point win uh, against Butler at home is exactly what the doctor ordered. That's what Creighton needed.
1: Absolutely, and – um we talked about their losing streak earlier. Uh, four out of the six games that they lost were within five points. Mm-hmm. Three of those were really one-basket games. Um, uh, the, the loss that Marquette hurt, especially just because that is more or less like a pretty darn good rivalry for the Jays, and we've owned them really recently. Um, uh, shot better from the floor against Marquette, but uh, we're only four of th- uh, 20 from three which hurt. And as you said, um, the fact that the Jays took only 16 threes against uh, Butler and made eight of those um, was quite nice. Um, I, 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 exactly. I, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, Francisco Ferribello, um last night had two just beautiful, beautiful assists. Um, wasn't knocking his shots down, but it's nice to know that he can contribute um, he did not make the guy for a dunk to Frederick King and then a really nice wrap around pass on the baseline for a dunk uh, to Ryan Kalkbrenner, too. And um, it, it, it's been frustrating and, and kind of a mystery is that um, this is supposedly Coach Mack's deepest team that he's had at Creighton. But the drop off from five to six, uh, just because the starters are so darn good, has been uh, slightly frustrating. But he really uh, showed out last night, even though he didn't score.
0: Yeah, the bench, so the X factor of the team is called Brenner and staying healthy and being able to play. The other X factor is the bench. If they can get anything out of the bench, they're going to be in great shape because they're playing these starters a ton, a ton of minutes. And without being able to rest some of these guys, you you just get afraid that their legs are going to go. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my concern if I'm a Creighton fan too.
1: Yeah. And Frederick King's improvement. Um, they mentioned it every darn broadcast, but he's only been playing basketball for what, four or five years. Um, he and Farabello uh, are the really nice six and seven um, that Creighton needs to perform. Um, Mason Miller uh, gave some, gave us some good minutes last night and hopefully Sharif Mitchell um, isn't out for too much longer too, because he's a pretty darn good defensive stopper, but uh, we've beat Creighton to the ground. So um uh, next we've got Butler, um, uh, great on this one. We did. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, disappointed that, uh, they've lost their first two, obviously losing to Creighton and Yukon, um, is nothing to, uh, be too ashamed of, but the fashion w- in which they did it, um, yeah. kind of ha- hanging close in both first halves. And then really getting beat uh, pretty handily in both second halves um, was disappointing for a team that um, uh, we'd rated pretty darn highly uh, previously. Um, it doesn't get any up uh, any easier as they host Providence on the 29th, but uh, that is a game that Hinkle Magic can strike the Friars, and their luck may may just run out. So, um, Chuck Harris. Uh, who has poured in 32 points in a game this season Had trouble getting in rhythm, um, against UConn and Creighton. I think it was four or 14 against UConn and then six of 12 at Creighton, which is pretty darn good. But, um, especially on a team that lacks a fair amount of depth and has still yet to get fully healthy. Um, they're probably wanting him to score, uh, upwards of 20 points a game.
0: Yeah. The scary part is the offense kind of these losses, They've lost five games this season. The most points they've scored in in any loss is 62, whereas they've scored 71 as their lowest point total in their wins. They when the offense is clicking, it sounds stupid to say, but they they win. They scored 46 points against Yukon, 56 against Creighton. Nothing was going. They they need to find ways to get easy buckets, and until they do that, they're gonna struggle. So Providence may be what the doctor ordered because of the fact that I think you can get into a little bit of a, a scoring matchup with them. I mean, if Seton Hall can score almost 70 points on them, then anyone can because our offense is just abysmal. But they need to get back on track. They need to find a way to to create, better, to create offense and to create better offense. Bottom three, Seton Hall at nine. We both agreed on this one as well. Uh, We've talked about it quite a bit. Just two disappointing games. They need to clean up free throws. They need to clean up turnovers, and they need to figure out their rotation because right now the the minutes aren't working. They need to give guys minutes that are going to be effective on the floor, whether that's a Jaquan Sanders, whether that's getting Tay Davis some more time, whether that's making sure Tyrese Samuel is on the floor. Something. Something needs to be done.
1: I wouldn't have anything to add, and um, uh, we we kind of wax poetic a little bit about Shaheen Holloway on the last episode. Um, uh, what are your feelings after these past couple games?
0: It's it's all a learning process, I think. Like he, he, you know, this is his fifth year as a head coach in college basketball. This is his first at a major conference. Um, he really didn't see success at St. Peter's until this last this past season, and even then. It was like he got, he got lucky that Iona lost in the Mac tournament and, and they were able to get through. You can see how bad he wants it. You can see how he wants this team to play. I think there's still some guys that haven't bought in yet. Um, th- there's just a lot of work to do, and I think it's early. like it's too early to judge him, but at the same time, like he inherited a roster that only had, what, three or four holdovers. But of those guys, they are supposed to be, like, core contributors. And they – like, Tyree Samuels held his bit. Everyone else really – Kadari Richmond is now turning it on, but everyone else has really struggled. Um, And whether that's lack of buy-in or belief or whatever it is, he needs to figure out a way to get everybody going um, because that's his job. His job is to figure out how to put his guys in the best position to win – and even if that means benching or, or maybe not playing as many minutes for a guy like Alamir Dawes, who is his guy, like he brought him in, he liked him, he was recruiting him out of high school to Seton Hall, like even if it means not giving him as many minutes for the better of the team, like you got to do something. You, something needs to change basically is, is what I'm saying. And until Shah realizes that or learns like we're, we're just going to be bump, running our head into a brick wall over and over again. Uh, Next, the
1: bottom feeders, uh, we had a tie for 10th, technically, uh, Georgetown and DePaul. Um, Georgetown, obviously, we mentioned, uh, lost to Syracuse and then hung tough for, lost the game with Xavier and UConn, but um, really got outscored by Xavier. Uh, We we mentioned Sule Boom just went off in that game, Um, but this team just can't really get stops when it needs them. Um, All starters were double figures against UConn, and four out of five were against Xavier, but the defensive end has really been their achilles heel achilles heel uh primo spears can really fill it up um in their last five games he's got 18 18 22 22 and 19 points um not an inefficient scorer um but can go get a bucket when they need him um and obviously uh to, to pick off conference to start off conference play against suf- such tough opponents i don't think any georgetown fans were uh, expecting them to win either game um, but they, they, they've they shown promise, um, but I'd imagine that they'll be close to this slot for the remainder of the season.
0: Yeah, they, Primo Spears is a guy that can go make a shot, which is big. They need something like that. They, they just don't play defense. The depth also is a huge issue for Patrick Ewing. He can't really go to the bench and pick anyone out that he can trust outside of the starting five. That's kind of been the the mantra or the M.O. for Ewing's team since he's uh, been at Georgetown. Defensively, I just have the number. Let me find it. Georgetown is uh, if I could spell, it would pop up. They're 258th in terms of defensive efficiency in Ken Palm. Top 100 offensively. Neither of those are a surprise. We know what their issue is. Um, they were competitive, which is why I put them 10th instead of uh, 11th like I did Paul. DePaul lost By 38 to Northwestern. You can't do that and expect me to not rank you dead last. Like Chase Audige and Boo Booey beat or tied, excuse me, DePaul. It was 45 45, those two players versus the entire DePaul team. 16 of 52 from the field, 6 of 21 from three, 7 of 9 from the free throw line. Believe it or not, DePaul is one of the shooting teams in America. So keep that in mind because if the Blue Demons get a lead in the conference game, there's a good chance that they're going to close it. Uh, 22 turnovers. They just, they struggle all over the floor. Offensively, they're fairly efficient. They're right around hundred defensively. They, they have a couple issues, but it's, it's really two or three guys, Gibson, Johnson and Penn. And, and if any of those guys are off that they have no chance to win any of these games. Yeah. And Javon
1: Johnson, uh, laid just a flat egg against Northwestern. Uh, he scored mm-hmm. 19 in the decaying loss, but um, was just nowhere to be found against uh, Northwestern. In as you mentioned on the B-Fox and B-Frank show in those obnoxious City Connect jerseys or whatever yeah. Northwestern was wearing. Um, and uh, yeah, in, in those two losses, they shot uh, 30% from the field, which you won't win a whole lot of games do, uh, doing, a, even if you're making a fair amount of your free throws.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is a bright spot for DePaul, but that's about it. Um, that's the power rankings. Thank you all. Um, we will go through best and worst stretch since it wasn't a week since we've last spoke. It, is, it has been a stretch. Um, who had your best stretch throughout that run?
1: Um, I put uh, Villanova. Um, best maybe isn't the, isn't the uh, word for it, but most comforting, really. Um, five wins in a row. Definitely um, the most needed. Exactly. Don't count them out just yet. Um, uh, that, as we alluded to earlier, their trip to UConn on the 28th will go a long way in determining just how back they are. Um, Dixon, Eric Dixon versus Damasonoga will be a blast. Uh, and then they host Marquette on New Year's Eve um, as well. So uh, even if they split those games, they can kind of solidify themselves in the middle of the pack, top half of that mid-tier of the, of the conference. Um, but uh, if not, um, they may fall pretty, pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I I agree with all of that. I put Providence as my best stretch. This is a team that really wasn't expected to do a ton in the Big East. They were probably middle of the pack, lower middle of the pack. Uh, Here they are sitting 2-0. They beat Seton Hall on the road. Say what you will, a road win in Big East play is important, regardless of who it is against. Uh, And then they outlast Marquette in a, a thriller. That's, that's a great win right there. That'll be a resume booster. They've got confidence, and when a team has confidence, they're, they're scary to play against. They've also got maybe the hottest player in the entire conference in Bryce Hopkins. So that's a, that's a dangerous duo with one of the elder statesman coaches, as the, as Fox, Fox's broadcasts love to remind us. Um, for worst week, it was pretty simple for me. I put Seton Hall. They let two games slip. They, they could and should be 2-0 in the Big East, and if they are, they're probably sitting – third in this power ranking for me now they are sitting ninth so that's the difference that free throws turnovers and just good shooting can make
1: yeah um and i uh I, again worst may not be the best word uh, for it but I, I i had butler and just a yeah. disappointing stretch um just because they hung tight, uh, as, as we mentioned, in both the games in the first half, but then just kind of ran out of gas in the second, um, yeah. especially after having exceeded expectations. They really only had one stinker against Tennessee so far this season, and um, both these past two games against UConn and Creighton would leave a sour taste in uh, the Bulldogs' mouths.
0: That is our best and worst stretch. Again, the words are relative. Take them as you will. Uh, let's talk about top performers We mentioned Bryce Hopkins. We both have him listed. Pretty obvious, just again, to remind the folks at home, 24 points, 10 rebounds, three assists against Seton Hall, 29 points, 23 rebounds, two assists, three steals in 40 against Marquette. Both games, he shot over 50% from the field. He went 19 of 28 from the free throw line in those games and two of four from three. The kid... Uh, you know, Kentucky let one go. That that is for damn sure. They could really use a guy like him on this their team this year. And uh, Providence is is reaping the benefits of having Bryce Hopkins on the squad.
1: Absolutely, and 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 the only obviously you're nitpicking a guy if he's going 24 and 10 and 29 and 20 uh, 23, but he can score 30 a game if he just figures out his free throw stroke.
0: Yeah, he he really could. Um, The the other guy I had listed was Kadari Richmond. Again, this is a a bit of a homer call, but the performance we've seen, again, shows me that he can be the best, one of if not the best guards in the entire Big East. 28 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals against Providence, 17 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals against Xavier. He can beat you in an He's a very tough guy to, to cover and beat. So that's why Kadari Richmond is my one of my players of the week. Uh,
1: moving on to uh, – I mentioned how much I may not like him uh, previously here, but uh, Zach Fremantle um, uh, went for 17-6 and six at Georgetown and 23-9 and nine against Seton Hall, shooting over 60% in both games. Um, he has not shot under 50% in a game since Feast Week. Uh, when they lost against Duke. So he's on a heck of a run, uh, and it pains me to say it, but he's uh, one of my players of the week. Um, Honorable mention for me, uh, Frederick King, just for keeping the Jays kind of afloat um, uh, on the interior in Ryan Kalkbrenner's absence. um, After kind of getting unexpectedly thrust into the starting role uh, in the BYU game, um, Mm -hmm. she was kind of struggling to get his legs under him. He went uh, uh, for 16-11 and against the Sun Devils um on eight of 11 shooting and then 16 and 10 at marquette and did not miss a shot that game uh he really kept that game from being more of a blowout uh given how poorly the jays played and how much they turned it over um uh he was uh he had another perfect night from the field against butler um three of three so didn't need a whole lot from him um 22 point win but it was great to see that but uh the most encouraging portion uh of that yesterday was he made three out of his four free throws, which if you've seen him at the line this year um, is a minor miracle. So uh, it'll be incredibly exciting to see him continue to develop this year um, as he backs up Ryan Kalkbrenner.
0: Yeah. He, I mean, he's getting these minutes. It's very important for his development. You know, he and Creighton will reap the benefits of, of this time uh, as the season moves forward so as we close up game of the week i i think it's obvious it's got to be villanova yukon like that is that is the game to watch the only other one i would mention is the battle for the cellar georgetown heads to DePaul on the 29th um that that's the only other game i'm going to be really tuned into but those are the uh that's my top two games of the week
1: yeah and um we got we kind of mentioned it earlier too but uh Villanova then plays uh ho- plays host to Marquette, which will be a big day game. Um, Xavier and UConn on New Year's Eve at the Cintas Center mm-hmm. is also going to be a great one to watch. And then um, we also mentioned it, maybe a trip up for Providence against Butler on the 29th. Yeah. Um, good teams seem to struggle in Hinkle no matter Butler's record going in. I think that they said uh, last night on the broadcast that in the butler Creighton series, 11 straight games where the home team has won and Creighton has been pretty darn good these past few seasons, obviously, but have tripped up in a major way uh, yeah. at Hinkle Fieldhouse. So um, only other one, obviously another homer pick is that Creighton, DePaul is the only game game in town on the day of yeah. Christmas. Um, I'm excited to weather permitting, uh, get to that one. So um, should be another fun week in the Big East uh, with some very marquee matchups.
0: That is our show. Those are the games to watch. Thank you all for joining us. Have a very Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. We will see you probably before the new year, but if not, happy 2023. It can only get better, folks. Go Seton Hall. Go Creighton. Go Big East. We will see you next time.